Welcome to the Boosted Volunteer Podcast. We share the stories of dedicated Booster Club volunteers and the tools and strategies they use to run successful booster clubs. We also have sought out experts on fundraising, volunteer management, and running nonprofits to share best practices. Hosted by Robin Eisler and Evan Eisler, you won't want to miss these great episodes that will help you run your booster club like a champ. Welcome to the Boosted Volunteer. Today, I'd like to welcome Brett Dew. He's the president of the Lady Eagles Volleyball Program and owner of Blaze Medical. Hi, Brett. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for joining us. So before we get started, I'd love to, if you could share a little bit of your background with our listeners, start with what's your day job? I know what you do in the evenings on the weekends and all of that, but what do you do during the day? Yeah, well, besides, you know, being a husband and a father, (laughs) I have a small little business where I am a distributor, sell post-orthopedic sports medicine bracing, which is a fancy way of saying if you go into surgery for something broken and you come out with a brace, that's the stuff that I sell to doctors and hospitals. You're the guy. Got it. I know who to call. (laughs) That's right. Well, tell me a little bit about your Booster Club. The Boosted Volunteer really focuses on Booster Club leadership and love to learn a little bit more about the size of your club, activity, annual budgets, and things like that. Yeah, so we're the Booster Club for the the local high school volleyball team, girls volleyball team, and they've got two freshman teams, a JV team and a varsity team, which comes to about 50 players approximately. And then if you add their parents or one of their parents, <laughs> we probably have about 80 or 90s are kind of in the pool of our um, our booster club in a year. That's who we're getting to. See, right now, our budget, we work between a, probably between $55,000, $60,000 budget right now. That's kind of what we're working on. Did that answer the questions? Yeah, no, that that's were... terrific. That's a pretty good budget for a single activity program. It sounds like you guys do very well. Yeah, well, you know, we try to. We have things that we want to make sure the program is able to have and produce and do to maintain a level of what we feel would be like a standard that we want that volleyball team to be. And that's regarding to the community as well into their district. And we were able to provide certain things that allows them to have that edge mentally, maybe even physically in a sense when it comes to facilities and materials and things that uh, we can provide that it doesn't have to weigh down on the school and, and the teammates themselves have to produce it. So, Yeah, it's very competitive these days, particularly in the volleyball space and also in Central Texas, <laughs> right? Yeah, yes. Well, we'll dive a little bit deeper into your specific volleyball club work. But prior to that, what other volunteer work have you done in the past or currently? We'll see. Currently, I also am on our Homeowners Association board which isn't as fun as the (laughs) volleyball one. I'd recommend doing a booster club, like a real booster club rather than HOA board. (laughs) So besides that, in the past, I've helped out. We started an FFA, like a booster club, which lasts a little while. That has successes and it had its downfalls. And I learned a lot in that experience of what can and what doesn't work. And then what really got me thinking more about participating in booster clubs was my son, he was in band. And the first year I thought I'd support the band and I'd go watch the football games and watch them at halftime perform. (laughs) (laughs) Not realizing that, oh, the next year 
there's actually what's called bandads where you go and you put things into the trailer and you unpack things and there's competitions on the weekends and it's a full-blown booster club type job. I'm like, oh, wow, there's a little bit more to this than just going to football games and watching. So that got me into the, oh, you know, that's probably how it is for all the sports. And then I have girls that played volleyball, so it wanted me to be involved with them in volleyball. I have a special appreciation for the band programs. The amount of work that the booster clubs do to get those programs on and off the field is amazing. I mean, I I look at their programs and they're doing thousands of volunteer slots every season. And it's just an amazing effort that everyone comes together to make that happen. Definitely. You mentioned that in the FFA, you learned some of the the failures, some of the things that didn't work. Can have anything specific you could share? Well, you know, I realized quickly then, because what we did, we started it from scratch. It hadn't existed. And kind of the background of it was the part of the FFA that they did in our high school is they did archery. And so they were pretty decent. And so they'd always go to a state competition and there was costs involved. And we thought maybe there's a way that we can kind of come together and help fundraise so these costs aren't so heavy on some of these kids and um, allow them to compete that way and give them the practice tools that they can to continue to excel. So in doing that, it was neat because we were able to do that and find ways to you know get a little bit of money here and there, which the way we were set up, we were able to provide a scholarship at the end of the year at the high school. So that was a really neat thing. But what I learned was a lot of these people, when you start the organization, as soon as their kid is graduated, they retire, they leave, they leave the club. That vice president or that treasurer or whoever is like, see you later. My kids aren't involved anymore, which made it really difficult when you're first starting because it's like, well, wait, we're just still trying to figure this out. So that got me, okay, we need to kind of, that needed to have some better structure there and participation with parents was key. But what really was eye-opening was the communication and connection you have with the people at the school, coaches, and you have to have their backing and they have to be involved in order to be successful. So the first couple of years we did, it was becoming successful, but then there was turnover on the teaching staff and they weren't involved with us, which didn't really allow us to be involved with them. And that was the beginning of the end. That relationship is key. You know, that relationship of the booster or the support organization with the school representative is so key to making things work. Huge. It's interesting. I find that that can be a downfall of a lot of clubs, just that one specific relationship. If you're not communicating well with the school representative or you're not nurturing that relationship, I think is the best way to put it. (laughs) Yeah. And I'll give you a quick example. They had a banquet and I had five minutes worth of a spill for the booster club and they didn't even call on us to spill to all the students and parents that were there at the banquet. And it's like, none of them heard that there's a booster club to help their kids for these certain events. And like I said, you don't have the buy-in from that staff, then that's going to be a little hard to overcome. Yeah, it's amazing. People don't understand, but the booster club's not always known to the parents or the kids joining the program. And if you don't get that five minutes, if you can't get that school representative to give you a little time on the stage, so to speak, it causes a big disconnect. Yes, definitely. One of my questions is, what's your why? Why do you do this? Why do you put in these hundreds of hours? I know during season, that's sometimes per week, (laughs) per month. So, So what drives you? 
to support the organizations. I, obviously, your kids are in the programs, but what do you get out of it? Yeah, for me, I guess it's been a progress of my past experience experiences into what's now and that there needs to be people that get involved and want to see success in a program. So for me, it's wanting to be successful, whether it's that my job or it's my family or whatever it is, I want it to be successful. And so having that bad taste of that FFA thing that wasn't successful, you know, I know what failure looks like in this space. And so for me, personally, I want to it to succeed. I want it to be successful. And then that, what does that become? What does that look like? And that could be different things on different years. But for me, having my daughters, and now just one daughter in the program, it's having so that she is proud of where she plays and who she represents and that she knows that she's part of a really special program. That's awesome. How you started at the community level and worked your way down just to your daughter, that it's powerful at all levels and building it not only lets your own children succeed, but then leaves a legacy for other children to follow into because the program is a strong program. How do you find that in all these volunteer roles that you've done, how do those impact other areas of your life and specifically in your business life or at home? Is there a positive impact? Is there something that you carry away with you? Uh, Yeah, there's always satisfaction in service. Personally, you feel better when you serve. If I've ever not felt good or felt down, the best way that I've ever gotten out of that groove is to serve somebody, do something nice for someone. And then not to be selfish, but you get rewarded for that. And that's not really why you do it, but it's a nice benefit of can help you feel good about that when you're serving other people. And it pays off. Here's a quick little example I had when for my church several years ago, there was in Austin, a community that got flooded. And so our church put together teams to go down there and muck out these homes and clean them out. And so I was there doing that. I mean, it was pretty heavy work. And just by luck, the news people were there and like, hey, can we interview you? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm just here, you know, helping, volunteering these people. They need help or brothers and sisters and help any way I can. And one of the accounts that I do business with, when I was in there the following week, he's like, dude, I saw you on the news. <laughs> and, and I didn't do it for that reason, but you never know who's watching or who's seeing and who sees your example and how that will affect them. And it made him appreciate what I do and being associated with me a little bit more, which was nice. Yeah, it's always helpful. I know when I'm looking for a business to support, I start with my sponsors or the people that I know have been working in a program and say, who in that group can I do business with if I can? Not a reward, but as a thank you or, hey, I recognize that you've put some effort into this and would love to give something back to you. Yeah. In your club, what's one of the biggest challenges that you face? Is it communication, volunteerism? What's one of your biggest challenges? It's ever a communication issue. The only issue is going to be because someone doesn't want to (laughs) communicate because the way we have it set up, the communication is very easy and simple. The biggest challenge I'd probably say is it's kind of like that. Was it the 80, 20 rule? And that might be generous in that percentage. And that is 80% of the work is more or less done by 20% of the people. That's probably the biggest challenge because sometimes I almost wish I'd get 20% and how to get that, that becomes probably a little bit more difficult. And the hard thing about that is, getting those people to take the next step, even though they might be part of that 20%, how do I get them to be more of that 20% and take on the next role that they need to do? And that's probably the hardest part. 
I think a lot of times in booster clubs, those roles aren't definitive. So people can't see what the next step is and they don't know where to go or what to do. They would if we gave them some guidance. You're right on. You're right on there because that's what we're doing now is we're planning for the season coming up that starts in August. And right now we're putting into position the, the different roles that we're going to need and communicate that now so they know what they need to be doing throughout the year. That way they're not signing there. That way they don't know they're not signing up for something they don't know what they're going to need to do, whether it has a beginning and end or if it's a role that they need through the entire year or if it's just a one-time event, having those type of defined definition things, we're hoping will allow those people to say, okay, I can do that, or I can do that in that, just depending on what they uh, obviously have in their personal life to be able to volunteer. So, Absolutely. I think good communication is always helpful, as you mentioned, just people knowing what to do and how to do and where to do it sometimes. That's a hard one. Yeah. What's your program's biggest success? What are you most proud of during your time there? That's a that's a good question. I guess, you know, it depends on what the success that you want for a particular thing. So for example, one would be, hey, we were by district and area champions, the program. <laughs> now, I didn't go out and play on the court, so I can't really take all much of credit for that. So that's why I scale it back into, you know what, we had a really good big pink turnout where we got people to really participate and donate to a great cause that went to cancer research. So that would be a success within the program, or it would be, hey, we had a lot of people participate at our Meet the Eagle event, which really got us off to a really good start to allow us to have the finances to be able to fund the things we wanted to do throughout the year. It made it a lot easier on people because of that fundraising event we didn't have to hit people up so hard during the year individually on those families. Because those families, as you know, when your child plays sports, the parents are always paying something all the time. And in volleyball, it's a year-round thing with club and, and everything else. So trying to be clear and trying to hit them less is helpful in a way that maybe that they can participate their time a little bit more instead of feeling like, well, if I just gave money, then I don't have to give my time. And I think that sometimes conflicts for some people. Like I know it did for us. For some people, it's like, hey, I can't put my time in, so I'll put some money in. And we get that and we appreciate that. That's better than, no, we're not going to do anything. Yeah. So, but that also sets up for, okay, you did that. Now, are you in a position that you can maybe do both or move into this arena that we need more help with actual people than we do dollars? You mentioned Dig Pink. That sounds like a a fundraiser within a fundraising organization. Can you explain that for our listeners who aren't familiar with it? Yeah, definitely. Dig Pink, it's um, like a side-out foundation where they separate nonprofit that they raise funds for breast cancer research, which fits perfectly. They have a Dig Pink program of that, which, you know, Dig refers to volleyball. So they roll it out to all the volleyball programs to be able to fundraise for this larger side-out foundation and then what we'll do is we fundraise for that organization, particular event, like a game that we'll dedicate to that, that foundation. So we'll have everyone dress in pink, we'll sell different extra items, and we'll have separate shirts and things that will kind of let people know that this is a special event going for a specific cause. And we feel good about that because we've had people that have gone through cancer, and it's something that, you know, especially in volleyball, girls' volleyball, breast cancer. It's just a lot. And most people participate in that type of a program, so it's really well-known. 
and it allows us to donate to our cause, even though we are a nonprofit ourselves. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting structure, but a great way to make the players, get the players to have some buy-in and work for a cause outside of their own cause, right? That's We could do something where we do that on our own and that money could go to something locally if we need to. At the same time, this is a way that we have a resource that's nationally known that people can ring a bell and they, they recognize. And you know, most of the schools in the area do it. So you'll, you'll go to an away game and they'll be doing this, you know, a big pink thing. And so people are very familiar with it. It's always easier to start with something that has some tools and some infrastructure than it is to build something from scratch. So that's a great idea. Yes. Yep. So in your term as the on the Booster Club, what's been your favorite moment? I mean, has there been a part where you're like, what's the end of Meet the Eagles? And you're like, wow, we achieved this or a time on the court or something like that. I heard that you were the announcer for the volleyball games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I helped do some announcing for them, the games. And that was that's fun. Although... It's hard because you want to like watch the game instead of trying to see what's going on and, and doing the announcing part. So it makes that experience a little bit different. And you go to phrase your question again for me so I can. Let's see. What's been your favorite moment in your role as the Booster Club president during yeah. your time on the Booster Board? My favorite moment besides, and I don't know if this is bad or not, but our end of the year banquet when that's over, that's a great feeling. <laughs> <laughs> It just it. is because it's like we got through and we did it and we had all these things and it happened and wow, we actually did the whole thing and it came about. and was, <laughs> So that's a great feeling. I don't know why I'd explain it. It's not a bad feeling. It's not something negative. It's actually because you just are continually, as a president, okay, we got this event, we got that event, we got these things going on for these games. We got to, and you really try and allocate a lot of help. But there's also a lot of things that you got to do to just make sure those things happen. Mm -hmm. So besides the end of the season, I would probably say seeing people get involved is really neat. You know, we had a lady this year that was showing up to our board booster meetings and talk about Dig Pink, for example. We're discussing what we can do to help generate more money for that event. And it was neat because this person was like, hey, my business will go in and buy and provide these cookies that you all can sell. So we don't have to go buy the cookies as the Booster Club. Her business was going to come in and donate those cookies for us to be able to sell. And it's neat because, okay, the money's fine because now we don't have to buy something, so we have a better margin to be able to give. That's fantastic. So now we're, instead of costing us $3 and selling a cookie for $5, we can sell the cookie for $5, and we got all $5 to donate now. But the neat thing is that she's there wanting to participate, wanting to get her business involved, and putting her into the system of, yeah, I want to participate. That's really neat when you see people that step up and want to become part of what you're doing. I've always found that if you communicate the need, there aren't too many people who won't help once they know what the need is and what needs to be done to fill it. It's a it's a human, uh, I think just a basic human reaction that people want to help Um so it's that gap between the need and communicating it to get the people to do what you need them to do. Yeah. What do you think is the best way someone can be prepared to run a booster club? I mean, you go from, uh, you think you're just uh, doing a little fundraising or you're doing this, but in, in actuality, you're, you're taking on a fiduciary responsibility of a nonprofit corporation. I mean, it's a lot of big words, but, um, 
how can someone be prepared or or ready or or what are some things that they could do to to step into the role? Yeah, what I would say probably is one obviously you just you want to get in touch with and talk with the previous person, for example, the previous president, get what they have, ask the questions that you want to know, what was successful, what wasn't. You know, if they had to do it all over again, what would they do differently or what would they suggest going forward? And not that you have to follow what that person's saying, but they give you the best insight that you'll get. Um, And they'll take you a long way. And the other is to get in with that school representative, in our example, for example, the coach, Mm -hmm. you know, being on the same page, because if you're not on the same page with the coach, then there starts to be a distance and then you don't get the buy-in from the program and that's where the parents they're going to know that and then you're going to have less participation and there'll be less success and that's just the start of the wrong way you want to go so getting the information from previous people in that role and getting on board with the coach and finding what their goals are and what they want and what they see the organization because you have a I have a, a vision of what I see and want to do in the booster club but does that match what the coach wants? Some things are yes. Some things are kind of not um, like um, not quite there. Mm-hmm. I want the things that aren't quite there way more than that coach wants. So I need to realize that's probably not the thing I need to push. I should probably push the things that we both agree on and are both really good wanting to have happen. That way that coach feels much more comfortable with me knowing that I'm there for the program, not just me trying to make a name for myself or trying to push a certain agenda or anything like that. That's a great idea to have a combined list of agreed upon objectives that uh, signed off by the booster club and the, the, the coaching staff or the directors um, so that everybody's working towards the same goal. Yeah. We see a lot of that in booster clubs that, uh, you know, somebody gets really zeroed in or keyed into one thing that they're working on that may not align with a big goal. And then all of a sudden you've got a little disruption in the club. Anything yeah. specifically that's, you know, contributed to your success in the role? Um, I mean, when you say it's my success, I kind of, I feel weird when you say my success, because I don't know if I, you feel like I'm successful, <laughs> but I guess since I'm going to be the president again this next year, I am assuming that's successful. Maybe we should, probably... maybe we should change the question and say like, how do you define success as a booster club president? Is it being elected for another term or? <laughs> you know, I would say yes, except I think there are some people that see how much work that person does. For example, they see how much, how involved I was in certain things. They're like, oh my gosh, I don't want, they get intimidated by it. And I can say that's kind of the, that's the the bad thing I need to do better at. And that is, and that's me personally, probably more than anything is I like, when when I know there's something needs to get done, I want to make sure it gets done. And if I give it to someone, then I'll give it them to do. I won't be involved. But if I don't see that there's action happening on it, I get antsy and be like, all right, do I need to step in here and get this thing done? Because I want it to be completed. So I probably get my hands into and doing more things than I should as a president, just because I know I can do that and I can do that and I can do that and get those things done. Um, but um, seeing success as a president, you know, I think it's, 
probably more of people wanting to be involved. And I'd say my, I would say I'd be, I would be, I would say I'd be successful in the fact that there was a lot more people that wanted to attend our booster meetings towards the end of the year than at the beginning of the year. Because at the beginning of the year, they all want to, what's going on? What's this? If I show up, is my kid going to have more playing time or whatever they think in their head? And they quickly realize that, no, this is, you know, a place to volunteer, to serve, to fundraise, to organize, to support the, the girls. And yeah, they want to do that, but they also know that they don't want to do too much. But I find success in towards the end of the year, if we're maintaining or growing the number of people that are going to those meetings, that meant that we're providing them an opportunity that's satisfying to them. That's, a, I think, a great measurement of success because, you you know, the trend would be to start off with more at the beginning of the year and then taper off. So um, I think you've described a perfect measurement there. Um, if people are joining as the season goes on, you've created an environment that people want to participate in. So I think that's really um, a great, great uh, measurement. And you got to yeah, make it fun, know, right? We, we don't want to do all this yeah. extra work and have it not be fun. Yeah, exactly. And one thing that was interesting that happened this last year is we actually had a parent. One thing that's really been really good for us is our coach would have a mandatory meeting with all the parents. And she gives us time to, to communicate the booster club at that meeting, which is key. And our present, everyone knows what we're doing and why we're there. And we actually had a parent this last year ask, where, where does all the money go? <laughs> and it was kind of quick, well, this, that, and the other. We kind of mentioned things because we didn't like, we're prepared for the question in the sense that we had it written out and had no answer. But what's, what's interesting though is the coach was like, you know what, that's a good question. And so she started putting together a tally of all the things that Booster Club helps with. And I think she was surprised on how much the booster club provides to her program in whatever it is, whether it be meals, um, facility things, uh, just whatever. There is a ton. I mean, a much higher percentage comes from the booster club than she has from her budget that she has at school, I would say. A lot of people ask why do booster clubs even exist? And typically it's because the, the district's fundings was pulled back over the last 10 or 20 years. And if you want to compete competitively in any of these activities, you've got to have a booster club to provide the extra funds to, to, you know, get the equipment, do the transportation, do the things that will keep your program, um, you know, at an equal level with, with the competitive programs. Well, I appreciate you joining us today and most importantly, appreciate all your work and dedication to the program. I know the program personally, I know it's a great one and appreciate all that you do. Anything else that you want to uh, throw in there at the end to give a shout out to anybody or? You know, the one thing I'd probably shout out to is Booster Hub ah. <laughs> because Booster Hub has made my life a lot easier. When you asked earlier about your role and what you could do as a president and what allows you to be successful, I mentioned talking to past presidents, past people in your role and getting on the same page as the coach. One other key thing is having a, I guess platform is the right word or not, but having a system in place that allows you to 
do the things and see the things that you're trying to do. And Booster Hub does that. It allows me to see the management, who's on the board, who's doing what. It allows me to communicate how I need to communicate, whether that be by all parents or parents by freshmen, JV, varsity, however I need to. It allows us to have a calendar that people can go and see what's happening this week, next week, next month, or what have you. And it allows people to go and purchase the things that we're fundraising. So we're able to put a lot of things in one place that I'm not having to go over here and over there and trying to figure out. I can funnel everyone into one area, which then gives me that access that then I can go and look and say, who's doing what? Where's this money coming from? Where are we spending it? Who needs check requests and you know the budgets? And just, just really ties it all down, which allows me then to focus on what I need to get people in place to do. Whereas if I didn't have that, it just becomes crazy madhouse. It reminds me of those early FFA days of, okay, we're, okay, you're in charge of the money. What came in? Okay, you're, there's $100 going in the bank account. Okay, you're going to show me the bank account, but the bank account's last month's statement. And, you know, it's just, you're, what's going on? And it's with Booster Hub, it's just right there, immediate. And it makes so much, so much things run smoother. And it's been a big game changer for us not only in our running of the system, but our fundraising elements as well. And we're excited for the future potential that Booster Hub is able to offer too, which I think will take us even to the next level. Well, we appreciate that. And I'm a little partial to Booster Hub, but I think the big key takeaway is to make sure that you've got some sort of infrastructure in your program. If you don't have that, you're going to have problems with those communication issues and which then become volunteer issues and fundraising issues. And I tell almost everyone I talk to on a daily basis when they say we're having trouble fundraising or we're having trouble getting people to volunteer, I go back to, well, you probably have a communication problem. <laughs> so let's start there. And typically that. So, but we appreciate that. I'm glad to have you guys on Booster Hub. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much and go Lady Eagles. We can't wait to see what they do next season. We'll be rooting for you guys. And again, we appreciate all you do. We know the time and work that you dedicate to the program and can't can't do any of it without people like you. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. The Boosted Volunteer is brought to you by Booster Hub. To find out more about Booster Hub and how our app can help you improve communications, increase engagement, raise more money, and manage your Booster Club responsibly, visit www.boosterhub.com. And then make sure to search for Booster Club Podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Booster Hub, thanks for listening.